to me. And like I, I ended the message last week by saying, this church is not my legacy, it's our legacy. It really is our legacy and Pastor Bill's legacy. You know, it's much more than, than all of us. And God has used all of us to, to start this place, um, which is a place where people can come and learn about the Lord. And uh, when we started this church, we wanted to have a church that people could walk into that had never been to a church, you know, and feel okay about being here and feel welcome. And you guys have made that happen. So this is your legacy. This is that kind of church. And I'm, I'm really excited about Mark coming. And um, he's a great guy. And he's going to be a super leader. I'm looking forward to his pastoral leadership in the church. And I feel so comfortable handing the leadership of the church over to him. And I want you to know that. I feel really good about that. Um, today, uh, as you know, is um, a sequel to my message last week. I said it's going to be a sequel to my message last week. And uh, if I were to name the sequel, what I would call it is Rubbing Elbows with the World. Kind of like a Clint Eastwood sequel. Right? Does that sound exciting? Rubbing Elbows. Or maybe I would call it a shootout in the Watershed Saloon. Something like that. Something like that. So for those of you that weren't here last week, okay, the, since this is a sequel, I want to tell you what we did a little bit last week. We reviewed and reinforced our mission statement, the purpose statement, which is to love God, love each other, and love people who don't know God yet. Number one is we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, every part of our being. Number two, we love each other. We love our neighbors, ourselves, and we love one another even as Jesus loved us, which of course was sacrificially and unconditionally. Not always easy to do. And number three is we want to love people who don't know God yet. And I talked about what that means is Jesus wants us to love lost people like he loves lost people. The people that just, they don't understand God, they don't know about God. And we're supposed to reach out to them. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what we learned after the story of Zacchaeus. And he came for people like Zacchaeus, not, not bad people, just people that just don't know. They don't know about Jesus and what he has done for us. And Jesus wants us to be like that. He wants us to seek and save the lost. He wants us to love people who don't know the Lord. And I told you, in order to do that, we need to do what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. And what did he do with Zacchaeus? Well, he just went out to dinner with him, right? He went out to dinner with him, hung out with him, and everybody complained about it. Ah, he's eating with a sinner. But that's what he did. He was, he was hanging out with Zacchaeus. And we need to do that. We need to rub elbows with people who don't know God yet. We don't need to stay in the walls of the church, but we need to reach out. We need to be around people. We need to spend time with people who don't know God yet, build relationships with unbelievers. And that really adds up to our statement, which is love them. We need to love them like Jesus loved them. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, Jesus said, you, he's talking about you, us, we, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Well, you know what salt does. Do you know what salt does? Salt purifies, salt preserves and salt makes everything taste better. And that's us. That's us. That's the church. That's Christianity. We make the world taste better. Okay? I've said this. You hear me say this. Every time a person becomes a Christian, I think the world gets a little bit better. Why? Because they're following Jesus. 
And Jesus, the teachings of Jesus Christ are like no other. It just makes the world better. And light, what does light do? Well, light makes sight possible. We can't see without light, right? Light reveals things. Light reveals good things, truth, like truth, and also bad things, things that are evil, so that we can see it. And light keeps us from stumbling aimlessly in the darkness of ignorance. The word ignorance just means not knowing. That's what the word means. And that's us. We're the followers of Christ. Jesus said we are. That's who we are. We're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. In chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. John Blake's translation of that is just follow Jesus, do what he's asked you to do, and people will see God's love in you. People will see who the Lord is. They will see God and they'll know, oh, that person has something. They have something I want. You will glorify the Father who is in heaven. So we need to shake and we need to shine. Not this kind of shake. We need to sh this kind of shake. Shake salt and light and shine light. We need to get our salt out of the shaker and be a beacon for Christ in the world. That's what we we're called to do. That's the Great Commission. And to do that, we need to rub elbows with the world. We need to be around, spend time with, and build relationship with Zacchaeus types of folks. Not bad folks, just people that don't understand what God has done for us in Christ, which John Calvin calls irresistible grace. But somehow, I don't understand it. This has been a part of my, I've been, you know, my first time, my first Bible study I ever led, I was 18 years old. I graduated from high school. I'd just become a Christian, came back and did a, a group of senior guys. That's the first time I ever led a Bible study. And something I have never understood is how some people are able to resist irresistible grace. Irresistible grace. It's an amazing thing because the grace, it was very appropriate that we started off the service with your grace is enough. Grace. It's an amazing thing. And you may um, be just that instrument, okay? That person, you may be that person that God uses, his special instrument to make someone think about God and see who God is. The other point I made last week is we can't do what Jesus asked us to do without the promise of the Father. And the promise of the Father is what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We can't be the witnesses without it. We got to have it. We got to have it. And here's the wonderful truth is we have it. We have the Holy Spirit. I told you that the, the same Spirit that was in Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and all of those wonderful Christian people in the book of Acts, okay, the Holy Spirit was in them. We are not alone. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be with us and in us to fulfill the Great Commission, because we need that to fulfill the Great Commission. So get out there. Okay, this is my exhortation to you. Get out there, get in the game, and rub elbows with people who don't know God yet. Shake your salt and shine your light. Shine your light, because that's God's plan. There is no plan B. That's the plan, right? That's the plan. We're the plan. We're the plan. Well, last week I promised you that I would tell you a story about one of my elbow-rubbing adventures. like Clint Eastwood here, okay? It happened about 15 years ago in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Um, for quite a few years, I attended conferences 
at the Billy Graham Training Center, which is in Swannanoa, North Carolina. And I would usually stay at my grandmother's cottage nearby in Montreat. It's just outside Black Mountain. And on one such trip, okay, I was in a music store. It's called Acoustic Corner. I still have the hat, right? Acoustic Corner. It's a guitar shop. Imagine that I would be in a guitar shop being obnoxious, breaking, breaking the cardinal rule, which is playing Stairway to Heaven, right, on their guitars. Never supposed to do that when you're in a music store. Sometimes I do it just for fun to have the guy look over at me, right? But while I was there, I saw this sign on their bulletin board. It was posted, and, and it said, open mic night at the Watershed Saloon. And I'm thinking to myself, should I? Then I'm like, nah. Yeah. But all day long, I had this little twinge in my heart, and it's like the Holy Spirit. It's like God was coming up to me saying, yeah, you got to do that. You got to do that. So I picked out some songs, okay? I picked out some songs, and I got all that stuff together in my head, and I'm thinking, okay, here I go. Here I go. And uh, I'm all ready to do it, but guess what happened? I choked. I did. I chickened out. I chickened out, and I came back to Leesburg, and I felt guilty for a whole year. I felt like the Lord really wanted me to do it, but I choked. I chickened out. So, so for 12 months, okay, 12 months later, I'm back in that same store. Guess what I'm doing? I'm looking for the sign. I'm looking for the sign, and there it was, open mic night at the Watershed Saloon Thursday night. So I don't need to pick out songs because I'm already ready. I've been thinking about it for a whole year, right? I'm all ready. I got them all picked out, and I'm not going to chicken out. So I sign up, and I show up at the Watershed Saloon Thursday night, ready to roll, ready to rock, okay? And I was number three on the list, number three on the roster. There was this wonderful lady, beautiful voice, acoustic guitar. She went first. And then second was a banjo player, hammer claw player. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, claw hammer. And my son Josh is actually learning how to do that right now. And then it was me. Okay, it was my time. So I started off with little JT. You know who JT is? James Taylor. That's right. And I can't remember what song I did, if it was You've Got a Friend or if it's Shower the People with Love with Love. But I remember they're sitting at the bar with their long necks just swinging back and forth and singing it. Okay? I remember that. And then I did this funny little blues song that I wrote for acoustic guitar and harmonica. And it goes something like this. Well, things are bad all over and they're only getting worse. You know, and I'm doing that. Oh, and they're loving that. They're loving that. They got that going. And then I did a, a song that I wrote. Some of y'all know it's Consider It Joy. And uh, it's about, James says, consider it joy when you encounter various trials for it's for the perfecting of your faith. And it's about this really bad day that I had. It, it's kind of like bluegrass rap, if you can imagine bluegrass rap. He says, well, I rolled out of bed, laying it on my face, and I looked at the clock, saw that I was late, and I shaved too fast, and I cut myself half to death. It went along like that. And they're into that. You know, they're into that. I had them in the palm of my hands, like warm sauerkraut, right? But then I went deep, right? Then I went deep, and I started talking about Jesus. And I, I went in for a little while. I told him, you know, um, a long time ago, I said, you know, my, my son, my oldest child, you know, was diagnosed with leukemia, and the only cure was uh, bone marrow transplant. He went through three, and it was, it was a terrible time in our family's life. We were all in crisis for a very long time. And I said, you know, and I'm up front, you know, and, and I said, you know, when, when you go through something like that, I said, friends are so important. I know, but you need more than friends. You need the ultimate friend. I said, if it weren't for Jesus Christ, I said, we never would have made it. 
if it weren't for Jesus in our lives. And then I sang this song that I wrote from Psalm 91, and the words go, Though the mountains fall around me and the ocean seeks my life, though darkness may surround me and I faint from the pain and the strife, though my soul cries out in anguish from the burden that I bear, I know that you are with me, Lord, in the midst of my darkest despair. I believe in you, Lord Jesus. I believe in you. I will trust in you, Lord. I will trust in you. And I put everything I had into that song, and I my, my eyes were closed most of the time, because I usually close them when I sing that song. And when I looked out, their jaws were on the bar. And they're sitting there, and I could tell what they were thinking. They're thinking, who let this guy in here? Is this Watershed Saloon or is this church? Are we having church? What's happening here? And it was really funny, the manager was very nice. But I knew what was happening. He came up to me, you know, and he said, hey, you know, we're running a little short on time. Would you mind, would you mind cutting your last song? And I said, I was fine. I said, yeah, that's fine. That's okay. But I knew what was happening. I was getting gonged. They just didn't have the shepherd's crook to pull me off. You know, I went willingly because I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to fight. Okay, so, so I do that, and I'm putting my stuff away. I'm, I'm getting all those things together, and, and I'm going to go sit down. I'm going to go sit down at the booth because I'm there to witness for Christ, and it would be rude to leave. You know, you would stay and listen to everybody because they listen to you, right? They didn't want to listen to me, but they listen to me. Okay, and so I'm over, and I'm about to sit down in the booth, and the banjo player walks over to me. His name is Bo, and Bo had obviously been generously imbibing, okay? All right, and uh, he was three sheets to the wind, and he comes over and he stands in front of me, and he comes up to me, and I'm thinking, what's, what's about to happen here, you know? And he puts his finger in my face, he said, that took a lot of guts for you to get up there and sing them songs about Jesus. He says, I respect that. And of course, spit went all in my face. He didn't mean to do it. He was just a little bit happy, you know? And so I, I, I went, well, thanks, Bo. I said, you know, I just, I just felt like God wanted me to do this tonight, and I, I finally got here to do it, and I said, I really appreciate you saying that, because he was obviously moved by that. And I don't know um, what came of all that. There were some people that walked by the booth and, and waved at me and smiled and things like that, but I don't know if there was anybody else that was such, but Bo, it meant something to Bo. I just don't know if he would remember it the next day, but, but it meant something, you know, and, and maybe that's why the Lord wanted me to do that. But this is my point. This is the larger point. That's only one example of one way to rub elbows with the world. Right? Right? God has uniquely gifted all of us, right, to find ways to shake salt and to shine our light to the world. Everything from a, a kind word and a smile to starting a Bible study in your neighborhood and in, inviting unchurched people and everything in between. Just a have a blessed day. You have people do that to you? I know what they're saying. They're Christians. It's a way to witness. It's a way to witness. But it's all about opportunities. Finding opportunities, holy moments. You've heard of that book. Holy moments, finding relational ways to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. I, um, a couple months ago, I guess it was a couple months ago, maybe it wasn't quite a couple months ago, I texted um, Mark Schilling. And I said, hey, Mark, I said, do you have time for a quick phone call? 
And I wrote down exactly what he said. He said this. He said, yes, in a bit. I looked it up this morning. He says, I'm on a hazmat call with the fire department right now. White powder. Pray everyone is good. And I thought to myself, how cool is that? He's out rubbing elbows with the fire department, the police department, and with people in the community being salt and light. He's going to be your pastor. That's awesome. He's going to do that. What a great example that is for us. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all those who believe, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It, it leads to salvation. It causes salvation. The Greek word for gospel is euangelion. The literal meaning is good proclamation, like you, like euthanasia, right? Euangelion, proclamation. Or what I prefer is the good news. That's, that's what it is. That would make a great name for a church, wouldn't it? I like the sound of that. That'd be a great name for a church. The good news. All right. But when Paul uses the word the gospel, he's being very specialized, very specific. He's talking about not just any good news. He's talking about the good news about Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he has done for us. It's good news about Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. So who is Jesus? Well, when he asked Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter said, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is the son of man. Jesus is the son of God. He, John the Baptist said, you, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, which makes him the savior of the world. He came to seek and save the lost, us, us. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. And what has he done for us? What's he done for us? In, concisely, he redeemed us and made us right with God forever. The impossible task. He did it. He died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life. Jesus himself said that God loved the world so much, he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, because we're perishing without God. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. He said, God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. A lot of people who aren't Christians, they misunderstand. It's not that God comes, and if people are good enough, he's going to send them to heaven, and if they're not good enough, they're going to go to hell. He's going to condemn. No, no, no. The world is already condemned. That's the point. That's why Jesus came. Not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. He was on a rescue mission. A divine rescue mission. That's who Jesus is, and that's what Jesus did for us. That's the good news about Jesus Christ, the gospel. And when Paul says it's the power of God, the word there is dunamis. Remember dunamis from last week? Dunamis, dynamite, dunamis, dynamite. Dunamis, it's the power of God, the gospel is the power of God that brings about or leads to salvation for all those who believe. That's good news, but I say it's more than that. I say that's the best news ever. You remember the movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told? It was about Jesus. Well, the gospel is the best news ever. Right now, I'm going to read from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this letter is one of the most complete, concise expositions of solid Christian teaching 
in the New Testament. Ephesians is amazing. It's actually, in my other Bible, it's pulling, it's falling out of my Bible. It's full of really good stuff. So much so that it became called a cyclical letter. That's what biblical scholars call it, a cyclical letter. Why? Well, because when the Ephesians received it, it was so full of good stuff, they copied it and recopied it and recopied it, and they sent it out to other churches like in Galatia and Philippi and Colossae, right? Because it was so full. So it's a cyclical letter to cycle through the churches. I'm going to focus on chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, because it helps us to understand, okay, who we were before Christ, why God did what he did, what God did for us in Christ, and who we are because we are in Christ. So let me read for you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I love the way it starts. Yeah, and you were dead. <laughs> you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that these words of Scripture, and the way they fall upon our minds and hearts, would bring light and salt into our hearts to understand just who you are and what you've done for us and in us and who we are because of what you've done. Pray that you would speak to us, give us ears to hear what you are saying by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So these first three verses tell us who we are before Christ saved us. And it's very blunt. He says, and you were dead. Pretty blunt right? And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And of course, he's talking about being spiritually dead, not physically dead. Spiritually dead, dead to God, separated from God on every level and in every way. Paul said, you're dead. It's what the gospel of John means when he says, perish. That's what he's talking about, spiritually dead. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. What he's saying there, it's as how you lived before you became a Christian. Then he goes on, he says, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That is a direct reference to Satan and his influence over them, the Ephesians, before they were saved. It says, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's referring to those who still have not come to the knowledge of God in Christ. Then in verse 3, he changes pronouns. He does that for a reason. He's pointing back at himself and the Jewish people who also need to receive the Messiah. 
He says this, among them we, speaking of the selfs and the Jews, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. In other words, we weren't any better than you guys, Ephesians. In God's eyes, anyway, we weren't any better. We were by nature children of wrath. Then in verse 4, Paul shifts to the why. Okay? He shifts to the why God did what he did in Christ. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Listen to what it says. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. That's the why God did what he did for us in Christ. Because of he is rich in mercy. And because of his great love, not just love, his great love with which he loved us. Um, some of you may remember the message that I taught one Sunday using John 3, 16 and 17 to explain the good news to people who don't know God yet as a, as a sharing tool. John 3, 16 and 17, it's really a snapshot of the good news. It tells us the why God did, for God so loved the world. Same as Ephesians, right? It was because of love. And the what God did, he gave his only son. The what we do in response, whoever believes in him, and then what God intends to happen, that we should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Everlasting life. For God so loved the world, that's why God did what he did. His mercy and love, he's rich in mercy and a great love that he has for us. Verse 5, it shifts to the what God did for us. Verse 5 and 6 says this, even when we were dead in our transgressions, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. What did he do? We were dead, perishing, gone, ship sinking. We were dead. We were hopeless. But God made us alive together with Christ. God raised us up with him and joined us together with him. Alive forever. A lot of people think that eternal life starts when we pass away and when we die. Oh, no, no. It starts when we believe. Think about that. That eternal life from the one who is the resurrection and the life is in us. Eternal life from the time that we believe and trust in him. Verse 7 circles back to why God did what he did for us in Christ. Listen to what it says. It says, this is another reason why. So that in ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So it was love, but it was also to reveal his character. God wanted to reveal who he is, and he did that in the way that he was gracious to us. He's rich in grace and mercy and loving kindness. That's who he is. And that's revealed in his actions toward us in Christ. These next three verses from Ephesians, verse 8, 9, and 10 of chapter 2, explains some of the how, okay? The how of our salvation. How we are saved. How God saved us. So listen to verse 8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That word, grace, which is charis in the Greek, is defined as unmerited favor. Another way to think about it is undeserved favor. I, I say it this way, grace is getting something really good that we really don't deserve. We don't deserve, that's grace. We did nothing to merit it, it's a free gift of grace. So what he's saying there is by grace or by his unmerited favor that we didn't deserve, we have been saved through faith. And faith is simple. It means the same thing as trust or believe. We are saved through believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus. And then Paul adds this. He says, and that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. And the that he's talking about is the faith. He's referring back to the faith, right? We're saved by faith. And he says, and that, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Think about that. What's he saying? He's saying that even your faith, even your ability to believe in Jesus is a gift of God. You didn't even do that. It's a gift from him. I hear people say sometimes, you know, well, I found the Lord. No, no, no. The Lord found you. <laughs> right? He saved us. I saw the light. No, he showed you the light. He reached out to us and chose us. You are chosen and redeemed. So we can't even take credit for the faith. God gave that to us. It's a gift. That absolute, verse 9 absolutely nails that down. Look at verse 9. It says, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's awesome. When it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our salvation, literally the only thing we can brag about is God. <laughs> we can't take any credit for it. The only thing we can brag about is God's gift of faith, God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, and his kindness. That pretty much covers it. We're saved by grace through faith, not anything that we do. It's hard to really think of that because we think, well, I chose, yeah, but he made that, all of that possible. He even gave you the ability to choose and to believe. It's all about grace. It's all about faith. And even the faith is a gift from God. That's good news. No, that's the best news ever. <laughs> that's the best news ever. Because you know what it means for me, just to get real personal, it means that my salvation isn't based on my performance. Whew. Well, that's a good thing. It's not based on my performance. Okay? It's, it's not achieved by how good I am. It's based on Jesus' performance, and it's based on how good he is. That's why I'm saved. That's why I'm going to heaven. And that's why I can be sure of it, because it doesn't depend all upon me and me doing all the right things. It's because Jesus chose me and you. By his grace and by his mercy, he made us alive together with Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But that leads us to the next very natural question, and that's this. Then why do we need to be good? How does that fit into the equation? So here it is, verse 10. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. 
This is what that means, okay? It means that we were created for good works. We were made to do good works and live a God-honoring life. We were made for that. But here's the final point. We don't do good works in order to merit God's favor or earn God's salvation. Listen, this is important. This is the main deal. We do good works because we have God's favor. We do good works because we have salvation, because of his mercy, his grace, and his great, great love with which he loved us. So we do good works because we're saved, because we have his favor. So in summary, I think it comes up in summary, all right, we were dead and he made us alive together with Christ. We are saved as a free, unmerited gift when we believe in him. Even that faith, our ability to believe, is a gift. We're not saved by works. We do good works because we're saved. It's the result of our salvation, not the means, right? Our good works are not a means to our salvation. Our good works are the result of our salvation. That's the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God that leads to salvation. It's the good news about Jesus. And it's the best news ever. Best news ever. And it's good news that needs to be told. Ah, here we go. Here's your challenge. We are the tellers. We are the tellers. He said in Luke, he says, you are witnesses of these things. In the book of Acts, he says, you shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We are his witnesses, his missionaries, his sent ones, sent to tell the good news. We're the plan. Love people who don't know God yet and fulfill the Great Commission. That's what I want today to be all about. Is what Jesus, who he is, and what he has done for us. Would you pray with me as we prepare for a time of communion? Lord Jesus, we remember you today in this meal. You told us to do this in remembrance of you. So we do. Lord, we just want to take this time to remember you, who you are, and what you've done for us. You're rich in mercy, rich in grace, and you love us with a love that is without measure. And that's why you did what you did for us. And when you were in Jerusalem, sharing this Last Supper with your disciples, you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. You knew it was going to hurt. You knew it was going to be hard. But you did it willingly for us to send a message to cover us forever to save us, to redeem us, to reconcile us to God forever. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless this time and these elements, that they might be for us a remembrance of and a symbol of your body 
and blood that you gave for us. Let this be that time of remembrance that you called us to do, that you meant for it to be. We pray in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.